a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. Well, from CDTN headquarters in Beijing, this is Global Business, and I'm Lily Liu. Well, these are headlines that we're tracking at the hour. Positive steps plan allows more efforts to build a market-oriented, law-based, world-class business environment. Steady progress. China's services sector maintains robust momentum in the first month of 2024. And go rush! In our special series, Biz Focus, we take you to eastern Zhejiang province, where gold fever has taken foe. Beijing has vowed to foster a market-oriented, law-based and world-class business environment. The announcement was made in a press conference held by China's State Council Information Office on Monday. One of their goals is to build a national unified market to ensure fair competition and reduce operating costs for enterprises. A series of measures were launched last year to improve the rule of law and protect the interests of enterprises. While the government promised to align with international systems and standards to attract foreign investment and promote high-level opening up. It also vowed to improve administrative efficiency to better serve enterprises. Take a listen. We will dismantle unfair restrictions to maintain fair competition, reduce local protectionism, and amend discriminatory laws and regulations affecting private and foreign enterprises. We will support the private economy and encourage private investment in national projects. We will also promote cross-border investment, streamline negative lists for foreign investment, and eliminate restrictions in the manufacturing industry to attract more foreign investment. Last year, we launched 24 policies to improve the foreign investment environment. Over 60% of these policies have already been implemented and well-received by foreign enterprises. For example, measures were taken to protect the interests of foreign enterprises on the Internet, regulate cross-border data flows, and ensure intellectual property rights. This year, the Ministry of Commerce will hold a roundtable once a month with foreign investors and enterprises to further address their concerns and find solutions. Activity in China's services sector has maintained robust momentum, boosted by an increase in total new orders. The latest Caixin Services Purchasing Managers Index, or PMI, grew for a 13th consecutive month in January to 52.7. That is above the 50 mark that separates expansion from contraction. Well, the figure fell by 0.2 points from the previous month. January's expansion was attributed to improved market conditions and rising services export orders. Business owners have been scaling up hiring to cope with rising demand. However, the cost of raw materials, labor and transportation continue to rise, resulting in a drop in the raw materials price index. The Caixin Composite PMI came in at 52.5 last month, compared with 52.6 in December. Now, for more insights on China's latest measures to create a better business environment, we are now joined by Mr. Chu Chiang, Research Fellow at Beijing Foreign Studies University. Mr. Chu, so we know that China has introduced a series of policy measures to, designed to improve the business environment. How will this actually be helping the country to address its downward economic pressures? Well, I think uh, foreign investors, foreign enterprises, and also the uh, private enterprises, uh, you know, uh, in China and outside of China, is a very vital force to you know stimulate the economy to go forward. 
But uh, as we mentioned uh, frequently, that in China right now, the hard word is to build a unified uh, market. The reason why is that uh, you know China is a very, very big country. We have you know uh, 34 different regions, and their development you know level are very different. Uh, a lot of people say, okay, uh, when I come to Shanghai and come to Beijing, I'll find you know the investment environment or business environment is really good, streamlined you know government, very transparent data systems, and we can do you know uh, do everything under the very uh, integrated legal system. But when you travel to probably remote area or small areas in China, still I think the information flow and the regulations enforcement, uh, you know, many things are remain to be improved. So I think under this circumstances in a big cities, they you know initiated this campaign to improve further about the uh, environment and the businesses to lower the threshold, provide a clear threshold and the market entry, to uh, provide a more transparent taxation and the charging systems, streamlined and one-stop services and administration and registration. So I think with all this, so everybody can be on the same level field to have a fair play, especially for the private sectors and the foreign investors. Sometimes they really want to join in, uh, join in the government project, but they don't know where to find the project. They don't know how to apply and register but now, I think it was in Beijing and Shanghai, they've been building this kind of platform to allow everybody to put a bit on it. You can find what kind of project requires investment and need enterprises and services. And then you can apply for that as anyone else, like SOE, like SME, like foreign investors. They all can do it. So through all this effort, I think in China, we will have more you know, vitalized you know, environment in the business and environment. And also, uh, let's zoom in on the uh, Caixin Services PMI data. That number actually hit a six-month high for the first month of uh, 2024. So what were the main factors underpinning that rise in services? Well, I think there's several reasons. In the short term, everybody knows it's getting to you know the Chinese uh, mm -hmm. Spring Festival. So every time of this year, it's always a high time for the service sectors in China because everybody is traveling tours and hospitality, catering industries, hotels, you know, all those things are having a boom time. And, uh, you know, and also in the long run, you will find out China right now is, you know, average, you know, GDP per capita is about 13,000 US dollars, which is just one step away from getting into the high income level country, which is like $14,000 or, or around that. So uh, whenever, whenever a uh, economy getting close to that threshold into the high income level, Usually, its service sector will get into a higher development, you know, uh, with optimized structure, with more of the service and participation and the jobs. So, and also a larger share of the GDP of the service sectors. So, you will see this transformation happen in Japan and South Korea and America and the European Union, and very, very soon, and already happening in China. So, you should get prepared, you know, to welcome the service sector boom in China, and more investment and more participants will get into this field. So I think Taishin's, uh, you know, number is just a precursor to show that for, uh, in the future the trend is going to happen. So yeah, domestically, I mean, seasonal factors definitely is one of the main uh, attributors. Uh, but what about foreign demand for China's services? I mean, that number began to pick up at the end of 2023 when we saw pronounced new export order growth. What is the outlook for this sector particularly? Oh yes, this is very interesting. I'm glad you mentioned about the uh, foreign demand for the trade service sector together with the foreign trade. Uh, you know, usually the foreign trade of China has been done in a very traditional channel, but right now, uh, Chinese uh, services for the foreign demand have been growing exponentially, and also together with the foreign trade. And I think the key joint point is the e-commerce platform. If you take a look at the 
uh, the APP list, you know, the hot list in a major market in North America, European Union, middle list, and you will find out the Chinese brand like the Tamu, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, the TikTok shopping, those kind of services have become very, very hot in many markets. And together, they pulled up the foreign trade from China to many markets. So e-commerce services plus trade has become a next hot thing in the Chinese economy. And you can see from the numbers that in the last year, this sector has been already been growing more than 22%. And we're very confident probably it's going to be another 30% in the 2024. So the service sector, as I just mentioned, is going to be the future trend in Chinese economy and another stop for Chinese you know, shifting gears and also optimize the economic structure. Oh, great stuff. Thank you so much, Mr. Chu Chang from Beijing Foreign Studies University. And we're going to have to pick your mind later on in the program. Well, China's latest cut of the reserve requirement ratio for commercial banks is officially effective today. The People's Bank of China announced the decision on January the 24th. And the required reserve, uh, reserve ratio, or called a triple R, is the percentage of a bank's total deposits that the lender is required to hold in reserve in order to meet withdrawal demand from depositors. Monetary authorities set the ratio to adjust the money supply in the market. And let's say that a triple R cut by 50 basis points is aimed at offering liquidity for the upcoming Chinese New Year festival, as well as strengthening credit capabilities of commercial banks and stabilizing asset prices. A triple R cut at the beginning of the year, especially before the Spring Festival, to guide banks to inject more credit in the market, showcases the PBOC's resolve to beef up support for the real economy and will help lift confidence of market entity. The first quarter is often the peak lending season for banks. The triple R cut at this time would inject more funds into the real economy. Coupled with other measures, these moves will help lower rates and cut costs for financing. Now let's get some discussions on that. And for that, let's bring back Mr. Chu Chang from Beijing Foreign Studies University. Mr. Chu, so this round of triple R cut was widely expected, but it is notable for its size. How is this going to have an impact on China's stock market and property sector? Well, I think everybody already gets the news that we have lowered our triple R rate by 0.5%. Usually we have done, we've been doing it like 0.1% or 0.2%. This time it's just a 0.5 directly. And uh, it can release at least, I think, you know, a 1 trillion Chinese yuan of the funds into the market. And also the leverage uh, can be even higher than that. You're considering about you can, uh, you know, 10, like 10 times the social funding and the financing resources uh, on that. And I think this is definitely a good news for the assets market, especially for the property market. Property market has been very closely linked to, you know, the mortgage and leverage ratio. And this, uh, uh, with this extra liquidity into the market, I think, uh, you know, property market will gain stability and restore its expectations and confidence. Uh, but for the stock market, well, uh, it's a little bit complicated because uh, the uh, housing market is a non-tradable market, which means the domestic market to dominate the uh, price of the housing, uh, you know, majorly. But for the stock market, you know, because we have the kind of linking to the, uh, the uh, uh, Hong Kong market, linking to the foreign funding. So sometimes if you lower your triple R or even further lower your interest rate, sometimes when if America or Europe, they don't lose their interest rate, sometimes people will be afraid of the capital flight, which means they have a higher interest rate, you have a lower interest rate, and then you probably you're going to see funds flowing out of uh, your market. 
So sometimes the market will respond very well to this, you know, liquidity injection. But sometimes people will get a, you know, fear of the capital flight. So sometimes you don't know what's going to happen. That's the reason why we see that very, you know, uh, much of the turbulence in the stock market in China. But I see in long term or mid term, uh, the liquidity will actually be coping with uh, the uh, good expectation in the stock market. But what's the only time to confirm that? Okay. Uh, what sort of message do you think this move would send for the real economy? And more importantly, what is your expectation for further monetary policy adjustments this year? Well, I think uh, this is absolutely one of the fundamental move for our financial resources to support the real economy because right now in China, I think uh, actual liquidity is definitely going to help the real economy, no matter in the financial sector and a property market, but also for the real productivity and service sectors. And we all need that. And I think one of the good things this year is, um, I think for the major markets like uh, North America, like European Union, they all have a very strong expectation also to lower their interest rate, to lose their monetary policy, so which gives China further space to uh, maneuver on its you know, monetary policy to provide more vitality into the market. But right now, I think we're hitting a you know, very you know, um, uncertain period of time because within the first three months, we're not sure about, you know, in America or European Union, they're going to lose interest rate immediately or not. So people are just waiting and created some uncertainties in here. But I think in the whole year, in 2024, losing, uh, sorry, uh, loosening the interest rate, loosening the monetary policy is going to be the main thing of the major economy of the whole world. So we have better confidence for Chinese real economy as well as for the world. Well, great stuff. Thank you very much for your insights, Mr. Chu Chiang, Research Fellow, Beijing Foreign Studies University for us. Due to common program, China unveils a detailed roadmap for the country's rural vitalization strategy for 2024. Whether it's about your education, the home you live in, or the items you buy, your money has a story to tell because every business story is a human story. Global Business. China has unveiled its first policy statement for 2024, indicating its priorities for the year. The report titled Number One Central Document, released on Saturday, outlines the government's priorities for the comprehensive promotion of rural revitalization. The document encompasses six goals, and these include ensuring national food security to avert any large-scale relapse into poverty, improving the development of rural industries, boosting measures to increase farmers' income, enhancing rural governance, and strengthening the leadership of the Communist Party of China on work concerning agriculture, rural areas, as well as farmers. China's central authorities have unveiled their annual policy statement for advancing national rural revitalization. And this year's document suggests local authorities should learn from the successful rural development stories of Zhejiang province. And our reporter Wang Tianyu recently visited Zhejiang province and its countryside to find out how residents' livelihoods have improved. Villas, resorts, and flowers. The Hengshanwu village in East China's Zhejiang province is famous for its stunning environment. People say the view is a gift of nature, but it doesn't come that easy. Human effort matters. Before 2003, our village was called a village of mud and paddy fields. 
Why? Because whenever it rained, our roads were full of mud. The only source of income for our villagers was through cultivating the paddies. In 2003, Zhejiang province launched its Green Rural Revival Program. It aims to renovate 10,000 villages and build a thousand of them into model villages. 21 years on, as one of the thousand models, Hengshanwu village has undergone tremendous changes. Roads are connected. Villagers have moved into modern houses, and homestay tourism has replaced farming as the pillar industry of the village. These homestay buildings you see here are all renovated from the old houses in the village. The designer said he wants to keep the original taste of the countryside. Local designer Chen Gu returned from the big metropolis in 2014 and started to redesign the village houses. As villagers were moving into new houses, Chen seized the opportunity to transform the old residential area into a homestay community with accommodation, food, and artwork. I find it pleasant to live and work here. My work and life in the countryside complement each other, and I consider it a luxury. That's why I came up with this slogan. The ultimate luxury in the future is rural living. The development of tourism has brought villagers more income. In 2023, each Hengshanwu villager received 2,600 yuan, or around 360 U.S. dollars on average, from the village collective income. The same thing happened in neighboring Gaojia Town village. As a famous tourism resort is located nearby, many villagers run guest house businesses in their own houses. Our main tourist peak season is in the summer. During the summertime, a single set of guest house can generate an income of 30,000 yuan for a household. And now, the rural development has attracted young entrepreneurs to set up businesses in the countryside. 27-year-old Xia Wan said the better environment made him produce better creative work. If I sit in a city skyscraper to do my art, I would feel very nervous and would limit my creativity. However, here, my mood tends to relax. The successful rural development stories in Zhejiang province offer valuable experiences for other areas of China. Now, more and more Chinese villages are learning the lessons. Wang Tianyu, CGTN in Anji County, Zhejiang province. And now for more discussions on this year's rural revitalization strategy, let's bring in Zhang Chuanhong, a professor in the College of Humanities and Development Studies at China Agricultural University. Ms. Zhang, great to have you on the show as always. So while this latest policy statement once again focuses on rural revitalization and agricultural modernization, what are the new highlights from this year's document? Um, you know, this is the 21st number one central document since 2004, focusing on agriculture, rural development and farmer issues. It follows the central themes of last year with the major objectives to ensure national food security, prevent large-scale relapse into poverty and rural revitalization. But this year's document provides a holistic and clear roadmap to agriculture and rural development. Um, first, it provides a holistic roadmap to implement rural revitalization strategy, highlighting the significance of learning from the experience of green rural revival programs, 
which was launched in early 2000s, starting from rural environment improvement, gradually achieving improvement in rural industry development and governance. Uh, this program has been recognized by the UN and was awarded the Champion of UN Earth Award. And this is also the first time for the central documents to highlight the significance of local experiences. You know, the development philosophy and the trajectory of this program were highlighted in the document. And second, I think the specific measures to ensure food security has been formulated, including stabilizing the growing areas and yield through agricultural infrastructure construction, science technology, incentivizing farmers' enthusiasm for land cultivation and coordination between the production areas and consumption areas. Uh, it shows China will resolutely combat illegal land occupation destruction, increase the investment in high standard farmland uh, construction and management. Uh, one thing particularly is about Trinity land protection system. That means land quantity, quality and sustainability will be ensured through this system. So, Ms. John, we know that China has already made a significant strides in agricultural modernization. So, I wonder, uh, what's the penetration look like, uh, rate look like for a modern agricultural machinery or tech-based agriculture, you know, tools on China's farmlands? Um, yes, China has made remarkable progress in agricultural mechanization and science technology. Yet, the overall mechanization rate is about 73 percent. But in 2005, you know, this mechanization level of plowing, sowing and harvesting was only 37%. Uh, for some stable crops, you know, um, such as rice, wheat and maize, the mechanization rate had surpassed 90%. Besides, the contribution rate of science technology is about 62%. Uh, China has constructed more than 1 billion mu of high standard farmland and 96% of farmers are using improved seeds, and more than 23 million rural practical talents are working in agriculture sector, and the number of new agricultural operating entities like farm cooperatives and family farms have surpassed um, 6.2 million. You know, the combination of mechanization and digitalization is the new engine of agricultural modernization in a new era of China. All these will be the major driving force for agricultural development in the next decades. Well, great stuff. Thank you so much. That's all the time we have for today. That's Ms. Zhang Chuanhong, professor from the China Agriculture University. Turning now to our special series, Biz Focus, where we take an in-depth look at industries and companies shaping China's economic future. Well, the Spring Festival is usually one of the hottest seasons for gold jewelry consumption in China. And this year, sales of the commodity are especially hot, particularly in China's lower tier cities. In this episode of Biz Focus, our reporter Chen Tong takes us on a journey to see how China's smaller cities have become a major driver for this industry. In this town, People have a passion for gold. This is Nanxuan, a two-hour drive from Shanghai. It's an Asian water town with a population of over half a million people in China's coastal province of Zhejiang. Where we are is the most crowded area in Nanxuan. I just counted. There are six shops selling gold jewelry along this Tai'an road. One here and five more down the street. 
six jewelry stores in competition along this 300-meter-long street. In Nanxun, many people think of gold as an investment, but there are some who are buying jewelry to make themselves happy. Data from consulting firm Frost and Sullivan shows the money consumers in Tier 3 and lower cities spend on gold jewelry recorded an annual growth rate of some 6% between 2017 and 2022, a faster pace compared with large cities. Industry insiders say social media has been playing a key role in this growth. Those young consumers get the information uh, basically very quickly nearly in the same pace as these consumers, young consumers in the big cities. So they know what is the uh, famous brands are, and uh, they, it's easier for them to accept it. The gold craze in small cities is even bringing cash to first-tier cities. We're back in Shanghai at this three-floor gold jewelry shop in the city's landmark Yu Garden. It's one of the largest shops belonging to gold jewelry maker Lao Miao, and it features the latest designs. Consumers visit from all over the country. A report from the World Gold Council shows 39% of gold jewelry consumers in China buy gold to make themselves happy. Only 19% buy gold for weddings, which was considered traditionally the main reason for gold purchases in the country. All this has meant leading gold jewelry brands, which have been present in large cities for decades, have been expanding to smaller towns. In the area of Yu Garden, gold jewelry brand Lao Miao owns four stores, not to mention those counters and Shanghai's numerous shopping malls. So naturally, gold jewelry brands are shifting their focus to smaller cities. Data from China Gold Association shows some 40% of the national gold consumption comes from third and fourth tier cities. China's leading gold jewelry brand Zhou Daifu's latest physical report shows a significant rise in the number of new stores opening in lower tier cities. Of course, they have a solid base in the first tier, second tier cities already uh, after several, maybe more than 10 years uh, operations. And the greater potential for growth uh, may come from the fourth tier, even the fifth tier cities, uh, based on the development of the economy and also the consumers' uh, uh, consumption power uh, in those uh, areas. So that's why this, those leading jewelry brands started to penetrate into the so-called fourth and fifth tier cities. In the year of 2023, gold prices jumped by 16.8% in RMB terms, making gold a lucrative investment compared with other financial assets. Such outstanding performance is also likely to encourage more consumers in smaller towns to put their cash into gold. And with that, we're coming to an end of this edition of Global Business on CGTN. I'm Lily Liu in Beijing. I'll see you next time.